0: Everybody, this is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another exciting episode of
1: Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 5 of the show where we're finally finally getting into like the spread. Like Marvel had Fantastic 4, then they had the Hulk, and then in June of 1962, they released several monthly superhero stories as the beginning of regular series. Now, we did one of those last time. Amazing Fantasy 15, which was immediately canceled, despite being probably, well, not to spoil our voting hands later, but probably the best of the bunch. Um, but today we're going to continue on with June, uh, with Journey into Mystery 83 is where we're picking up.
0: Yay. So first appearance of Thor, um, cover dated. This is where Thor dated.
1: has his beginning. What's that? This is where Thor has his beginning, yeah.
0: Yeah, Thor has his beginning, cover dated in August of 62. I think you already said released June. And I get to do the summary on this one, so I'm kind of excited cuz for some reason I usually get the the bad eggs, but I really like this one. So, uh, well, let's see before if I can we
1: get it. into it, I just was going to mention one thing about the order that we're going in in case anybody's wondering okay. how we're picking and choosing that. Yeah. Um, so there's this wonderful amazing website, Mike's Amazing World.com, where he has uh, release dates, or at least estimated release dates of every comic known to man. Or most of them anyway. And right. so we're using that as a basis. So these are all the comics that were, uh, set to be released around June 5th, 1962. Now some of you will immediately come out and say, but the shipping was unreliable and all those other things. Yes, I understand that. But Marvel's intent was that these become out on or around June 5th, 1962. And then within a particular week, um, we have another fantastic website called the Complete Marvel Reading Order, where they have put every Marvel comic story in a chronological reading order. And so we're using – within a week, we have the comics sorted according to that website. So it's a little bit pedantic, but some of you are just as pedantic as I am. Otherwise, you wouldn't so- be listening to a podcast about this stuff.
0: Yeah, so if the reading dates aren't exactly correct and we're upset about that, um, we'll probably be at least covering stories that interlink in the correct order. Mm-hmm. Like, does it really matter if we get Thor and Ant-Man backwards right now? Not really, because they don't talk to each other, so whatever. But you know, when they start crossing over, we'll definitely be doing those in the right order.
1: Yeah, when you have Avengers coming out, you have solo books and the team book. We'll try to get, you know, the solo adventures that happen before the team adventure first and the solo adventures that happen after the team adventure second, that sort of thing.
0: Exactly. So, without further ado, back to the isolated issue of Journey into Mystery number 83 that crosses over with nothing. Um, Once again, for those new to the show, we try and do a synopsis blind without looking. Obviously, we've read these comics for the show, but I'm not going to try and, you know, flip through it real fast. I'm just going to see if I can remember what happened. So... Starts out in Norway with a doctor named Donald Blake, and he's there to, I guess, enjoy the scenery, be on vacation. And as he's looking at the beautiful scenery behind him, a spaceship lands, and out comes what will later be known as the Saturn Men or the Men from Saturn. Um, They're these huge, blocky creatures that kind of look like if the thing in Easter Island had babies.
1: Uh, This would be (laughs) be the Saturn Men.
0: (laughs) So. So they come out and immediately, like all aliens so far in the 60s in Marvel, they start boasting about their powers. They rip trees out with their bare hands and they jump off cliffs and don't die. And they talk about how amazing they are and how weak the humans are. And while they're doing all this, an old man happens to oversee them. And he runs back to the nearest small village in Norway uh, and uh, says, oh, my gosh, aliens, aliens. Or, oh, there's an iron giant. And they're all like, forget you, old man. We don't believe you. But Donald Blake kind of believes him and decides to just go check it out. And, of course, once he gets there, he finds them. And, unfortunately, they see him or hear him spying. And so he runs like crazy, finds a cave to hide in. Um, But now he's stuck because if he leaves the cave, they'll find him and kill him. And so he desperately looks for a back door. He can't find anything. So in frustration, he kind of sits down and leans against the wall, which turns out to be a fake wall. It opens up. And inside, he finds a walking stick um he doesn't really know what to make of that he takes it he thinks maybe i can use it to you know leverage some of these rocks out of the way and find a way out out the back end um but he tries that and of course it doesn't work so out of frustration again he smacks the stick against the wall and turns into the norse god thor the mighty thor um which he finds out by reading what is now a hammer. The stick turned into a hammer, and on the side it says, you know, if you're worthy, you're going to be Thor if you use this thing. Um, so he instantly realizes, now I can just lift the boulders with one hand, tosses them aside, goes out the back, and spends some time with his newfound powers, his newfound look. Um, he learns that he can, you know, all the things we know Thor can do. He can, he's really strong. He can throw the hammer, and it comes back to him. He can control the weather. And he also finds out the bad part is that if he lets go of the hammer for about a minute, he automatically turns back into uh, Donald Blake. Anyway, while he's trying to figure all this out, the Saturn men decide to come full force, show up, the uh, army comes to meet them, and of course are getting their behinds kicked. And while this is happening, Thor overhears that and decides to go lend a helping hand. He completely annihilates them. The Saturn men, um, they have no chance. They throw robots at him. They throw guns at him. They throw cages at him. Nothing works. He just wipes them out, and they run away, and the army's like, wow, what made that happen? And they look around, and all they see is little old Donald Blake, and they decide it couldn't have been him, and then Donald's sitting there going, well, for now, I'll just be Donald, but when the world needs me again, I can be Thor. The end.
1: Mighty Thor. <laughs> yeah. So, very good. Um, you remembered a lot more detail than I did. Uh, I don't think my Tales to Astonish recap is going to be as, as complete as yours. Um, I actually just, uh, well, make-
0: mine wouldn't be either, so
1: don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get another actual superhero. Like, Yay. we talked about how these have mostly been monster books and, like, under the, yeah. under the radar superheroes, but Thor's a, Thor's a full on superhero like Spider Man was and without the, um, without the mask, but doesn't need the mask because he turns into a person, a different person, completely different, completely
0: different person. So yeah, really fun too. I think I read or heard something like Stan was like, how do you top Hulk? Well, you make a God. That's how, so that's kind (laughs) of where that came from. I guess he decided to just use a, yeah. Norse mythology.
1: Um, It's interesting because they'll get some letters about the fact that they're using gods And, Mm -hmm. you know, the only way around that is we're not talking about gods in the religious sense. We're talking about gods in the mythological sense. But I know people who consider themselves adherents of the Norse religion. I wonder why he
0: picked Norse particularly. Um, And I've never found any reason one way or the other. But, like, for me, when I was growing up, I was kind of into this stuff. But I think I was more into the – the Greek gods were more popular to – you know, as far as what I knew.
1: Well, the Um, um, the Anglo-Saxon – area owes a lot of, like, like Tolkien and a lot of the fantasy, high fantasy that we consider now, has its roots in Norse mythology. Right. So, as, more so than Greek and Roman.
0: Right. So that's probably why. More well-read than I was as a child, I guess. I probably wouldn't know anything about Norse mythology, except for Marvel Comics, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Love this cover. I think Kirby... You know, love or hate Kirby. I think he's, like most artists, probably better with some characters than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's great with Thor and Captain America and guys like that that just, you know, they want to put their fist in your face kind of guys. Um, I guess Hulk The cover to, really to, is to good, extent. but there
1: are some awkward Thor poses throughout the story inside.
0: There are. There are. But I think, I don't know if that's just, I mean, he must be overworked at this point. Like every book we've covered except for Spider-Man has been mm-hmm. Kirby. And even that had a cover by Kirby. Right. So it's like just amazing the content, the output that this guy was doing. Um, and still mostly pulling it off. I mean, yeah, there are some issues that aren't as good as others, but I would say there's a lot of great panels in this story and also just some clunkers. But
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- no, there's a lot of good art in this. There's just some places where I'm looking at Thor and I'm like, really? Really? That's that's the yeah. picture we have here? Um, <laughs> the aliens, yeah. they look like they're uh, out of those comics that Reed showed to the scroll Captain.
0: Yeah. Are we, are we having they, alien fatigue yet? Or
1: <laughs> They're not going anywhere. In fact, we get a new trope in this issue because in addition to the aliens. Oh, no, no. No, sorry. Next issue. I got my brain okay. confused. Um, oh. there's, there's a new trope next issue because we're going to have commie bastards.
0: Oh, well, yeah, yeah they, did, they did that in uh, Hulk already also. but
1: Oh, that's right. We had commie bastards in Hulk. We yeah. had um, Gar- the gargoyle. You could kind of say we had Commie Bastards and Fantastic Four because that was the motivation for the origin, but I don't know if that's worth counting.
0: Yeah, they Uh, don't really say it. Say it. They don't say anything, so.
1: Yeah. But you've got to get to the stars before the Reds do.
0: But this, okay, so how many times now? Maybe it's only been a couple times, but Toadmen came, and they always start with a scouting party. That's like Stan's go-to. Let's have two guys land, demonstrate how amazing they are with their magnet powers, or in this case, their ray guns and super strength. Who else have we had? We've had to have more than just two. I feel like I've read this at least three times.
1: We're going to have more. Okay, uh, we had the Maybe scrolls. Maybe that's the problem. The oh, scrolls, and the scrolls. Yeah, there you the go. Man so there's two.
0: So, so they always have a couple come in and do some damage, see what it's like, and then they bring the whole force in, usually with no particular reason, like no communication from the three that they sent before. You know, mm-hmm. it's always just you guys go first, and then count to ten, and we'll come in later. To really amp up, really amp up that fourth story, right? Um, yeah, and then it's the same thing. Then the superhero comes in, beats them all. The end.
1: And I was thinking about the uh, the basic core of the story is Donald Blake walking into a cave in Norway and taking a walking stick. You know, that's the hammer. Um, mm-hmm. It's not his. No, he just picks it up and he takes it with him. Now, of course, later all of this is going to get retcon. It's not actually Donald Blake; it's Thor in a human disguise. But for right, right. now, right. this is some dude on a vacation stealing stuff from another country. And like, okay. if 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 it were a, if the people in Norway were maybe some other skin tone, because usually white people stealing from brown people is done like in stories all the time. Right, um, but we're not in Mexico or the Congo or Tibet. We're in Norway, but I, for some reason I feel like it still qualifies. He's just going into this Norse cave and saying, "Oh, I'll steal this."
0: Well, I'll argue on his behalf and say he was going in that cave to run away from aliens that were trying to kill him. And <laughs> and yes, there is a false wall, and inside I didn't really describe it very well. There's like this rock um, coffee table sort of thing with the stick on it. So it's not just a stick laying on the ground. It's like a presented walking stick, right? Like it's Aww. important.
1: And he does a ta- light shining down on it,
0: and he does take it, and he does try and use it futilely to like move this huge boulder with it. Um, but we could argue that maybe if he did escape, he'd then say, "Hey guys, I found this awesome discovery in this cave that you may not know about. Do you want to put this in a museum?" We don't know. He may not have taken it home. I don't know.
1: And so he turns into Thor, and he um, he finds the ever so famous inscription on the back of the hammer: "Whosoever holds this hammer." If he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor, which is fantastic. Yeah. In English, not in ancient Norse.
0: Or is it, and he can just read it and not realize that he's actually Because he's Thor. Thor.
1: Right. Loki would say, I didn't know he could read.
0: (laughs) So before, uh, not before, but just in this comic at all, do they talk about him being lame? As in, I mean, he has the walking stick. He has a walking stick before he finds the walking stick. Um, on these first couple panels anyway, but does it say anywhere? Like he actually has a,
1: it describes a, him as a frail figure in the right. first panel. Um,
0: yeah. And he looks frail. He looks like, I mean, he's not like Hank Pym. Hank Pym is like a supermodel handsome, you know? Um, and this guy looks like he's kind of bent over and skinny and the hat's too big.
1: Yeah. I'm just looking through and you're but, right. Cause but, I'm used to the you know, lame Donald Blake being like the standard description, but
0: yeah, they don't do it. So maybe they meant to do it and forgot. I'm going to say that's what they meant. They meant to do because they certainly drew him that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, after leaving the cave, Thor just sits there and starts thinking about all the stuff he knows about Thor. He's trying to just like you know expound the plot and the narrative when magic blasts him out of nowhere and turns him back into a normal human being.
0: So, do you think that the big panel where he's lifting the boulder with one hand is the worst panel? Is that the one you were talking about?
1: That is that is definitely uh, probably the one that stands out the most.
0: <laughs> I agree with you on that. That was not so good.
1: I did find use of the word lame on the last page, so I'll put that when we get there. Oh, okay. It's just weird. It's it's an awkward angle. His his face is just so doofus cheery. Um, <laughs> the handle on this thing is so long. Right. Um, and then so, whenever he's outside and he's like kneeling there on the ground out of that that looks kind of weird and strange.
0: I do like that he takes the time to figure stuff out. That's yes. kind of cool.
1: And Thor Thor's day is named after Thor and
0: Yeah. Like he doesn't doesn't just come crashing out of the thing and start fighting Saturn Man. Like he doesn't know what's going on. So he, he sits down and tries to decide who he is and what what was the mythology he read as a child or uh-huh. whatever he says. Um, but I I have read this before um I really like Thor, but probably more in the context of the Avengers. Um, as with most Avengers, I haven't read a lot of their solo material.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, for some reason, thought when Donald Blake turned into Thor, he became Thor. And I know you said, and I, and yeah, he gets, it gets retcon later that Donald Blake is Thor, yada, yada, yada. But I thought for a while it was like a two-personality uh, situation.
1: It becomes more of that as time goes on. But yeah. in these early days, it's, it seems like he's just Donald Blake who said totally. following the words of the hammer has the power of Thor.
0: Right. He doesn't turn to Thor and then go like, at last, I'm free. I'm Thor again. Right. You know, or they're not swapping bodies like Rick Jones and Captain Marvel.
1: Or Billy Batson and Captain
0: Marvel. Well, that's that's are they swapping bodies? I thought about that, too. But I wasn't sure if that was just Billy Batson in his wise and strong state versus his child state, or if that actually is a different person.
1: I always thought it was a different person, but I'll be honest, I don't know the mythology of Captain Marvel nearly as well as I should. Yeah, I don't either. Um, the, the thing that this origin establishes that is going to be around for a little while, it doesn't stick around very long in the context of 50 years of history, but for us going through these issues, we're going to have it for a while, and that is that different numbers of hammer taps... Can do different things. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, so it's monotonous. like, yeah. I mean, when you double click your mouse, there is like a subroutine. When you click it once before it acts on the click, it waits to see if there's going to be another click. And when there's not, it acts. Does yeah. the hammer have a subroutine of programming built into it? Or and is this one of those one beep for yes, two beeps for no type of things?
0: I don't know. So, right now, he stamps it twice to create rain or snow Uh or lightning, and he stamps it three times to turn that off. If he stamps once, he turns back to Donald Blake. Um, And I'm pretty sure sure at
1: one of these stories, he's going to stamp it four times.
0: Okay. So, we'll have to write that down and start keeping track of whether he's consistent with his stamping.
1: But it reminds me of that scene in Futurama, whenever um, they're in the little Captain Pike chair. One beep for yes, two beeps for no. And she beeps twice, and he says, Oh, that's a double yes. <laughs> right. Maybe the hammer is just magical and understands intention. I don't know. It is a magical hammer. It does many, many amazing things, as we will see in future stories.
0: Yes. Um, um, and then he just kicks butt, and this is, I just love all this. Um, this is where Kirby shines with Thor. I mean, this fight scene is just. Probably the best fight scene we've had so far, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, the action here is really good, and all of the aliens have their laser guns, which on the cover look just like assault rifles, but now they look like alien laser guns.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do, don't they? Wow, I didn't notice that.
1: And he chases them off, and he's like, nothing can conquer Thor, nothing! I mean, turns out there actually still is a whole lot out there that can conquer Thor, but, I mean, Don Blake, he's been, you know, he's probably feeling unbeatable for the first time in his life ever. So I don't yeah, blame him for getting a little crazy and right,
0: power. exactly. Rightly slow. He just like stemmed off an invasion all by himself. So that's pretty awesome.
1: And he has this cool red cape. Yeah, he's like,
0: like you said, the first maybe first Marvel superhero we've had because Fantastic Four, like, like we've already said multiple times, were dipping their toe in the water about even being superheroes, and they've never really been the traditional superheroes are always more like a scientific family that explores weird things and fights bad guys. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, Ant-Man has not really been Ant-Man yet.
1: Yeah. We haven't even done that yet. Spider-Man is right. a superhero. He is. But he kind of, t- he kind of takes a lot of the conventions and puts them on their head. I mean, he doesn't really want to be a superhero. He's going to end up being one, but he well, got the and powers would- and cashed in on them.
0: And he hasn't had any villainy yet. Yeah. His first issue was like, how many pages? Eight pages? Eleven story. pages. Eleven pages of story and it was all just about him right. being a jerk. So we haven't got to him like actually fighting any of his classic supervillains. So Thor and Hulk, of course, has just been the Hulk. The monster. Been, been a uh, monster that doesn't even like accomplish the major goals of the issue so far. We keep yeah. saying that's, that's Bruce Banner. Like, monster just gets in the way. So uh, yeah, here comes Thor with his red cape and his blue outfit and his awesome hammer that can create weather and spin around and um you know hit 15 guys at once and he's ripping through huge thick iron cages and it's like yeah this is a superhero
1: it is pretty cool um it is on that bottom row of panels there where they see don blake from the distance. They mm-hmm. a distance and call him a lame passerby with a gnarled oh, cane. okay and then so why do they put thor with two r's there that's a total misspelling okay
0: they weren't trying for it, it, something. It,
1: it, it's one of those hilarious things that you know quirks, like like like, like Peter Palmer in Amazing Number mm. One. Uh, someone, one of those things.
0: Someone thought it didn't look complicated enough for a god's name, so they added an extra R.
1: <laughs> something like that. Um, but but just like Spider-Man kind of takes the secret identity thing and spins it on its head, this is this is something Marvel's doing. They're playing with the secret identity thing. Mm-hmm. Like this guy has a lame leg. And he turns, right. you know, taps his cane and turns into a powerful, uh, God. Right. And so it's not really a secret identity in the sense that, oh no, if they discover that I'm actually, I mean, someone could go to Bruce Wayne's house and find the Batcave. Someone could follow Superman home and find out he's Clark Kent. Donald Blake and Thor are two totally different people.
0: Someone could be hanging out at the newsroom, pull a gun, shoot Clark Kent in the head and he wouldn't die. Right. You kill – you shoot Donald Blake in the head when he's not looking. He will die.
1: And then Peter Parker's secret identity, he hates being Peter Parker. Right. His secret identity is a shitty life. Right. Um, Dr. Banner, he can't control the changes. So there's and no he, like private he hates life. He being of, the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. There's no private yeah. life of the Hulk where like I'm the Hulk when I want to be a superhero and then I go home and be Dr. Banner. No, he can't control it. And of course, we've already talked about the Fantastic Four that don't really have secret identities yet – um, that's going to change next episode, probably with strange tales. Um, but meanwhile,
0: the thing hates being the thing.
1: Yeah. And, but their, their faces are all public. As well right. End, end yeah. That.
0: Yeah. But even still the thing, hating being the thing is, is kind of unusual for a superhero too. Right.
1: So none of so, these guys so far are doing their superhero thing and then choosing to live a less awesome life in the, in the private time. It's all just kind of being thrust upon them. So
0: essentially what we're saying is Stanley was Really, really mean. Um, if you read those that Bible from the first ish, first episode we talked about, he really wanted to make all the Fantastic Four suffer. Yeah. You know, Invisible Woman constantly invisible, and it would hurt for Fant- Mister Fantastic to stretch. Um, so he's looking for drama. He doesn't want to just make a superhero and like have all us kids like live vicariously through them. You know, scot free. He wants to give them uh, dramatic issues, problems.
1: Which I think is a great way to shake up the uh, shake up the genre.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what put Marvel on the map and made it a contender, really.
1: Any other thoughts on Journey into Mystery 83? No, just that it was really fun. Well, that was only like 20 minutes. We might get three minutes of this episode. Yeah, um, really. Next up, finishing out the first week of June, June 5th, 1962, we have Tales to Astonish 35. You'll gasp in amazement at the return of the ant-man okay who who Mm -hmm. um so as we've talked about in earlier episodes the ant-man had his start in a total one-off story in issue 27 of this series that for whatever reason stan and jack or whoever else decided to go back and revive as a superhero idea so this opens up with henry pym uh, Mm um deciding to recreate his old serums and store them away for a rainy day. Um, He's also been studying how ants can communicate with each other because no one really knows, quote unquote, (laughs) how ants communicate. And so he Uh, makes a helmet that allows him to tap into their frequencies of their antenna because evidently if you have an antenna, you must use radio frequencies to communicate. Um, That's not actually true, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Alright, story gets underway whenever Hank Pym is hired to, I believe he's working with a team of people to make an anti-radiation formula, and he's in charge of the project, but each of the scientists working on the project is working on, like, a part of it. So that if any of them were captured by a foreign power, no one will be able to give away all the information except for Henry Pym. And what do you know, um, their scientific labors, their laboratory, wherever it is they are, gets invaded by some some dudes with guns. Um, the commie bastards of this story, if you will, <laughs> um, have decided to come and get America's anti-radiation formula. So sure. Henry Pym goes home. Does he go home? I forget. He goes somewhere. He shrinks down to ant size. And we get this whole like little interlude of him like rediscovering the ants and playing with the ants and relearning his powers. It's sort of like, hey, look, it's Ant-Man. And then he goes back to the... Um, the, the place and, and stops the bad guys. I don't really remember many more details beyond that, but I don't really know if we need more details beyond that, uh, because that's the basic gist of the story.
0: You pretty much got it.
1: Yep. Okay. I thought you were going to say, you left out a couple of major things. <laughs> well, yeah, you
0: forgot the part where the Fantastic Four showed up, but no, just kidding. Oh, darn. Nothing. Nothing happened.
1: Um... One of the things that I most like about Ant-Man that I think was probably one of the most appealing things is the really cool perspective art that we get showcased on the cover here. Mm-hmm. Um, the perspective where we're down here tiny looking up at stuff that's super big. I think this is one of the cool things about stuff with tiny characters. Uh Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had a lot of fun with it. The sure. pl- Planet of Giants Doctor Who story had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, the Planet of Giants Doctor Who story, they were wanting to make that story from the very beginning of the show. Like, Planet of Giants was one of the opening story ideas whenever they were coming up with ideas for the show. They just didn't get up making it till the end of the first production block, i.e. the beginning of the second season. Um, but yeah, so we get a little – I'm just opening the book here. We do get a little bit of recap from uh, issue 27, only for like two panels.
0: Okay, so to me, Marvel – I could be wrong because I've never made a list – where we count all this, but to me, Marvel has way more smart people than most universes. Um,
1: like super scientist kind of smart people.
0: Yeah, I'm not talking like the seven different kinds of intelligence or anything like that. I mean like the stereotype. I like Bunsen beakers, you know, and inventing things kind of intelligence. Um,
1: and I always everyone w- so far.
0: Well, yeah, everyone except uh, yeah, every book we've read has somebody.
1: Uh, Even Richard Peter Parker is super smart. Peter Parker is yep. super smart. Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner is super smart. Don Man. Blake is not really talked about in the first issue, but he's like one oh. of the best surgeons in the country.
0: Oh, that's true. But he's not a scientist. so Yay.
1: He's a Something. medical scientist. He's
0: a medical scientist. So that's what it, that's my point, is I'm wondering, because I don't really know all the different <laughs> kinds of science. You can't just say I'm a scientist. You probably have a field of study, right? Oh,
1: in Marvel, you totally can.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm saying. So Reed Richards, they don't really – we just assume he's smart. They don't really have him doing – well – They will eventually. But in the books we've read, I don't know what he's done other than invent a rocket that didn't work. But, uh, (laughs) like, we assume that he had something to do with the tower he lives in and all that. So he seems to be like a builder kind of guy. Uh, Dr. Banner is an expert on radiation, apparently, which he Mm -hmm. used to try and make a bomb. And he can also fix the gargoyle and stuff. And then we have Ant-Man here. I don't know what science it is where you're trying to make yourself shrink and grow. I assume that's a very specific field. Biophysics, I believe is Biophysics, yeah. okay, biophysics And then he's decided, you know, that Auntie was really nice to me the last time I was in a comic book, I should learn how to Talk to him, and he just becomes Like this expert on How ants communicate and creates a The Ant-Man helmet that we all know and love That helps him communicate, or translate Their signal into human Speech or something, or something that he Can understand, that's gotta be a whole Different family of science I would imagine mm-hmm. So he's got two going on right now, and then we know he invents Ultron later. So that's robotics. <laughs> you know, like this guy is just—is he like the smartest person in the Marvel universe or something? I don't know. He might be. He just decides something and he can do it.
1: It's kind of the power of the plot, though, right? Yeah,
0: but then you know these long, long-term characters—you've got to, you've got to kind of come to some sort of reconciliation with that. Um, because, yeah.
1: It's easy to gloss over the notion that Henry Pym threw away the serum and then recreated it. It's kind of, you know, not really a huge part of the origin story. But he says at the bottom of the first page, this will be a great boon to mankind. I don't remember that really being any inspiration for him. Like in the first issue, I think he was just like, I want to do this because it's cool. Mm. And you science people are laughing at me. Right.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like the first retcon already.
1: And again, we'll find out later that he's driven by memories of his wife and promises he made to her and some other some such junk. It's um, also like,
0: it's also like one of those serials where like the car drives off the cliff at the end and you go, Oh no, they're dead. But then the next episode you see that they jumped out five seconds before it came off the cliff, went off the <laughs> cliff, you know,
1: it's like, or like the mash movie where major burns gets sent off to the funny farm or the mash series. He's, he's there on,
0: right. Yeah. They get to it's
1: go like, home at the end of the movie, but they're still in the
0: war at the beginning of the series. It's like, I will never make the serum again. Well, but I made these, um, So, I want to just put a pin in, or I don't know. I don't know what else you have to say about this issue, but I don't Um, have a lot.
1: Yeah, there's not a whole lot here. I did look up and found out that ants actually use four different kinds of communication, none of which are radio frequency. Um, (laughs) They they use scent with their pheromones, they -hmm. actually touch each other, Uh, they use body language, and they can scratch their legs against the carapaces or against each other to make sounds. Okay. Um, these are different ways ants actually do communicate. Um, I don't think that his helmet is going to tap into any of that, but we're going with the helmet.
0: I like the helmet panel where it's like vibrations. Just as I suspected, the antenna do give off electric impulses, and then it shows a picture of like the his antenna like shaking, and the and the sound effect is
1: twang. <laughs> Something went wrong, all right. (laughs) That's just weird. Anyway. Um, According to the time narration, he's had long months of work developing his Ant-Man persona with the helmet and the costume and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Then a few more weeks since receiving this assignment to the anti-radiation formula. So it's been a while since issue 27.
0: But all this costume is for the purpose of his study on communicating with ants.
1: I I think the jumpsuit is just to look cool. I think the no, has
0: no. He said it's so that if they bite him, it won't hurt.
1: Oh, okay. Well, and that's what, wanna,
0: that's what I want to. That's what I want to put a pin on. I don't want to talk about it yet. I want to talk about it next issue. But there is a panel here that says it's closely woven fine steel mesh protects his human skin. That's why he made it from razor sharp mandibles and all that stuff, right? But then note the Ant Man's costume is made of steel mesh consisting of unstable molecules which yes. stress, stretch and contract as his own body does. And that's all I want to say right now, because my point has to come after Fantastic Four. Okay. Um, but let's just remember that. Remember yeah, that I, I did write exists. down that this
1: is the first issue that mentions unstable molecules.
0: Yes, um, technically it is.
1: Which Lily at 10 was like, wouldn't those be molecules that are about to explode? Is that what unstable <laughs> actually means?
0: Yeah, I actually really love the title. It makes no sense. It means nothing. But it's just such an easy way to explain when... Somebody has to ask, you know, like, how come that guy's shirt didn't rip? Or whatever. Unstable molecules.
1: Oh. And whenever he's small this time, he's surprised at keeping his strength. So his formula is actually slightly different now, and it's more appropriate for superheroing. He can actually be super strong now when he's small.
0: Or he didn't pay attention, his last appearance, because he was throwing really heavy objects at those ants. So yeah, maybe that's he true. was maybe, maybe he was too busy being scared.
1: And the only other two points that I have are that he can't be heard when he's Ant-Man. I don't know. It's something I don't think that lasts.
0: No, As I imagine can, you can make that into a microphone, that thing in front of his face.
1: Yeah. Um, and it ends with him talking about how he'd be forced. Will I ever be forced to become the Ant-Man again? And, like, like you don't love every minute of it, Hank. I know, really. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was fine. It's cool. Um I like the next Ant-Man story actually a lot more than this one.
0: Okay, Um, that'll be an interesting discussion then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you have on Tales to Astonish 35? Nope. Okay, so the Fantastic Four 6 is the only other June comic. It came out June 12th, which was the next week. And I get to summarize that one. So I get two
0: awesome comics in one episode. Lucky me.
1: You know, the rate we're going, I might have two awesome comics this episode as well.
0: <laughs> no, we'll talk about this one a little more, I think. Um, okay, so Fantastic Four, number six. Oh, I'm drawing a blank already. Okay, um, it starts out with the Torch flying around looking for Namer, who they lost two issues ago. Um, and if you recall last issue, they Dr. Doom got away. So really, they should be looking for two guys. Um, And his sister's kind of following him around on the ground, and they go back home, and they kind of have a little family hangout, and they are reading fan letters, good fan letters for, like, Reed, and bad, threatening fan letters for the thing from the Yancey Street Gang. Um, Meanwhile, we cut to Submariner, who's working on his synchronized swimming routine with his dolphin friends. As you do. Um, As you do, if you're an Atlantean. And... Uh, Doctor Doom shows up and kind of invites himself over to Submariner's hangout, and he know, he's like, "Subby, I've heard good things about your evilness. Why are you uh, not doing it anymore?" And then he sees a picture of Sue on his like nightstand or his mantle or on his chair or something. And he goes, "Oh, you don't want to fight the Fantastic Four because you got the hots for that girl." And he's like, shut up, man. So then Dr. Doom goes, but think about it, man. They killed all your people. You know, the humans tested bombs underwater and all your people are gone. And Namer's like, oh, yeah, that really does make me mad. So I'll tell you what, I'll help you out as long as we don't hurt Sue. Dr. Doom's like, cool, man. I got this awesome magnet thing, let me show you and he shows him and it's like a remote controlled magnet that flies around and it connects to some statue's head and it pulls it out of the ground and it's a super huge head and stuff so it's like really impressive and he goes now we're going to plant these where I tell you to and then we're going to have a cool plan and they high five and it cuts back to the Fantastic Four and Johnny is like snooping around uh, Sue's bookcase and finds a picture of Namer <gasps> in her... In her possession. So they both like kind of like each other, I guess. And he's like, what's this? And he tells the other guys, and they're all like, what's this? And just as they're trying to interrogate her about it, who shows up through the window but Namer himself? And he's like, hey, guys, um, so I've been really lonely lately, and I think I just want to declare peace with you so that I can have friends. And they're like, yeah, Right. And they try and fight him, but Sue, like, stands in the way because she thinks he's got a hot swimmer's bod. And then they're, like, looking around the building to see if he did anything to it. And just when they decide maybe they believe him, Namer says, I'm going to take Sue for a walk in the park. But before that can happen, the whole building starts shaking. And they look out the window, and Doctor Doom is in a ship. And he's pulling their building off its foundation and tugging it along with him into space. Because Namer planted magnets in the basement. However, the plan was that Namor take Sue for a walk first before Dr. Doom took the ship, took the building into space. So now Namor's mad too, because he's not only trying to kill, Dr. Doom's not only trying to kill Sue, he's trying to kill Namor. So now my enemy and my enemy is my friend. So they scramble to get their space helmets on and stuff, and all the Fantastic Four members try and stop Doom's ship somehow, and they all fail miserably. And, they're all, like, injured in the process, and namers like, hey, do you got a water tank around here or something? And they say, yeah, downstairs. He jumps in the tank. He comes to full strength, shoots out the window, and punches his way through Dr. Doom's ship, uh, makes his way to the console where Dr. Doom tries to, like, electrocute him, but he can absorb electricity like an eel, and he shoots it right back, which makes Dr. Doom eject out of his ship and land on a passing meteor, which takes him off <laughs> into space. And then uh, Namer pilots the ship back, returns the building to where it's supposed to be, takes the magnets and the ship, and dumps them in the water, and says, you know, I think I'll just take another day off for a while till I figure out what I want to do. The end. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's pretty good. I have to say I'm impressed. Thanks. Um, I always feel like I'm not going to like this issue when I'm going into it. I don't know why, but there's something about... Oh, we had Subby, and then we had Doom, and now we're gonna have them together. But I actually yeah. really like this one. Um, I think it's I a pretty too. cool story. I do too. Yeah. And uh, you know the diabolical duo on the front, and I just want to clarify: every time somebody says "da da da duo," they're riffing on Batman and Robin, right? Like every single damn time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, speaking sure. Okay. Um, their secret headquarters is no longer secret. The Human Torch is heading for the Fantastic Four skyscraper headquarters. Oh,
0: wow. I didn't even notice that. Yeah.
1: And it um, he actually was looking for Dr. Doom. Namor is sort of- Oh, he was? He, yeah. Wow. Well, I got that
0: wrong. Sorry. That makes a lot more sense, actually, because why skip an issue?
1: Namor is almost incidental to the story that Dr. Doom just happens to go and get him and say, hey, help me do this. And it seems like his only use for Namor was to just get the, uh, get the magnet installed in the building. But like that's the Which, only thing he used him for.
0: Right. It seems really like you could have- Well, maybe he wants to kill him. Oh, maybe more threat. And he apparently Namor hates be out of his way. Hate, yeah, he hates anything with powers. I mean, that's why so far we have no reason for him to have animosity towards the Fantastic Four, other than they can stop him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, same with Namor. Namor could stop him, and has been known to hate tyrannical dictators in the past. So, that's what I figured. But otherwise, yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, all you have to do is you could have anybody who lives there put a magnet on the base in the basement. Um, but I don't want to skip over that because I didn't put this in my summary. I sort of just did it real fast. But, like, uh, they introduce a couple cool concepts here. One, you need a special Fantastic Floor belt to access the elevator that takes them to the top
1: floor. I love that,
0: which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I don't even know how many times we actually see it being done. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that every time they go in from the ground floor, they have to do this. And I. I know about it because in my Spider-Man collection I had when I was a wee tot, Spider-Man mm. tries to go visit the Fantastic Four. He can't get in because of the beam. He doesn't have the beam. Yeah. So um, it's just one of those things elevator. that's like always there in my head, even if we only see the comics like five times.
0: Yeah. And then I love this is one of my favorite things about the issue more than the plot is I love this this part where they're all just hanging out because this may be the first time where even if they do take a couple jabs here and there, they don't break out into full-on assault of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, They're like actually just kind of settling down a little bit and being a little more fun to read, Uh, more like a family. No one is telling anybody to shut up uh, or throwing couches or boarheads at them or whatever. And I like that they're getting fan mail because that goes back to, the I think, our last episode or a couple episodes ago where we talked about how the Marvel Universe always feels like more of a real world to Mm me. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't hurt when they have, when these heroes actually have popularity, like they're, they're the celebrities of this universe, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's almost like they're trying to find ways to make these characters less cardboard cut out. This Mm -hmm. is not the justice league of America. Look, our heroes are just sitting around doing nothing and Reed randomly decides to go help a sick child.
0: Yeah, he gets a letter. So, see, I skipped over all that because, you know, I don't know how detailed we want to get on these synopsis. We don't have to, yeah. Yeah, but, like, he gets a letter, and it turns out it's from a sick kid who's just across the street in a a hospital. So it's like, hey, I'm just going to stretch out my building and hang out. So here's where the – let's put a pin in the the Ant-Man unstable molecules thing comes into play. Right. Because the kid asks – one of his questions in the letter was – how come your costume stretches when you stretch, Mr. Fantastic? And he says, the reason my costume stretches to any length that I do is that it is woven from chemical fibers containing unstable molecules that shift in structure when I affect the change. Which we assume also applies to Human Torch, Visible Woman, mm-hmm. Aunt, Ant-Man. So, when I was a kid, or growing up, for the longest time, I thought Mr. Fantastic invented unstable molecules. Right. Right. And then one day someone, and I don't remember who, told me, no, actually, Hank Pym invented unstable molecules. And I was like, wow, cool, go Hank Pym. I always just assumed it was Reed, because he's like the designated smart guy of the Marvel Universe, right?
1: Um, But now I don't know. It's almost like they have no communication with each other. They just both happen to have unstable molecules now. And neither one of them claims inventing it. Um, The only thing I'll say is that we've seen these costumes behaving this way since issue three. Okay. So even though, and, and Tales to Astonish 27 happened, that was released the same time as issue two. So thinking about Marvel time, they get the new costumes in issue three made up of unstable molecules, even though they don't call them that. And then there are months for Ant Man between 27 and 35. So in theory, developments in unstable molecules by Reed Richards could have been made known to Hank Penn somehow, either through scientific journals. Or um, he right. uses his ants to spy on them and find out what they're doing and everything else. Okay. I don't know what. But so, I think there are ways we could retcon it, but probably Reed Richards is the one making the molecules.
0: But you could say that exact same sentence backwards, and it still works for me.
1: That Henry Pym did it in – Reed Richards three. read the article. Oh, yeah.
0: Why not? Who's to There's, say when he, when he did it? He's been a scientist for a while. That's true. And he his clothes shrank in his first appearance, even though apparently that's impossible. Well, his clothes got wet. Okay. But Mr. Fantastic and his clothes stretched in Fantastic Four number one. So they're wearing unstable molecules to space, which makes <laughs> sense. Because, hey, if you, if you have this fabric and it exists and it never rips, why not wear that to space, right? That's true. Um, but So then I'm just thinking, like, you know, there's, chron- there's release date people like you and me, and then there's chronology people. Why couldn't Ant Man one and two take place before FF number one? There's nothing that says they don't, or vice versa. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it really could go either way. So maybe they'll say it eventually someday that Reed Richards will have claimed that he invented it. Maybe that's where it comes from.
1: And right now, that, I think usually in the does. future, when people need unstable molecules, they go to Reed. Yeah, but I, I like I like the notion that just because they haven't said, I mean, or rather, because they haven't said, it could very easily be Hank Pym as well. Yeah. It's definitely that not would be- <laughs> Bruce Banner because his clothes always get ripped by the Hulk. <laughs> yeah.
0: And plus that would be three different areas of study for Hank Pym. So maybe we should give Reed Richards something to be a genius about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, another element that's important that you, uh, we don't want to gloss over is the introduction of the Yancy Street Gang. Yay. That made me really happy. Now, they're going to do lots of retcons with the Yancy Street Gang and Ben Grimm's relationship to it. But for the longest time, it's just these kids in the corner... We never see them, and they're always mocking Ben Grimm. Uh, It feels like this is not the first letter he's gotten from them, even though it's the first letter we've seen. I've heard from those mealy-mouthed braggarts before. They get their kicks out of trying to rile me. Yeah. Um, The letter they sent was, If the thing will meet us on the corner of Ashby and Main Street, we'll knock that chip off his shoulder and make him like it.
0: And how does he answer? Go ahead, say, it's amazing.
1: He takes a, a square, like three inch thick chunk of metal. Yep. It's, it's basically the size and shape of a phone book. Only it's
0: titanium steel.
1: Titanium steel. Six inches thick, he says. And he rolls it up like a Swiss roll. Yes. And says, stick this in an envelope and send it to him.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I love Johnny's face on that last panel too. Ooh. <laughs> like, like even Johnny who doesn't like, you know, the thing and Johnny always poke at each other. But even he can't help but be impressed. Right. <laughs> by that amazingness. Um, But yeah, Yancey Street is like, it seemed like it was Stan's just shorthand for anybody who grew up on the streets or was street wise or street smart. Because not just the thing, but I I swear like Nick Fury, old school pre Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury used to say Yancey Streeter all the time or something. Uh, Anybody who chomps on cigars and doesn't talk with perfect English knows about Yancey Street. Okay. Not sure why. Not sure why. But.
1: Um, We should talk about Sue and Namor.
0: Okay, yeah. Good stuff.
1: Okay. She does not want to. Ha- the first conversation to talk about how Namor is a terrible guy. She's like, no, I think he's just misunderstood. And I was just going to write that off as human compassion rather than a romantic attraction, except that she does have the photograph of him hidden yeah. in her room. So that really does seem to imply romantic attraction.
0: But regardless, it is still as nice that she kind of figures out a difference between Doom and Namor because there is a difference. Yes, they're really there is. not just they're not just one dimensional villains. You know, they both have completely different intentions for. or motivations um and i i do think it's cool like because in when uh namer first showed up was it four number four um we kind of joked that sue had the hots for him you know because i knew later she would but uh i didn't realize it happened so fast like wow really next appearance, they're they have like traded pictures
1: yeah which also makes you kind of wonder when that happened like obviously there's there's you know Two months in between each issue, so plenty of time for her to have encountered Namor since then. But um, well, his, I don't even his, know.
0: They may not have given them to each other. They may have just found pictures of each other somewhere. Oh, that's true. I don't know.
1: But his 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 encounter with Sue that we saw was, I will not kill humanity if you'll marry me. And I yeah. I I'm one hundred percent convinced that in all these early comics, marry is a euphemism. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because yeah, they can't it's like, say that. Kind of
1: like, so if you'll go back to my place and bang, yeah. then, you know, I'm not going to kill everybody. She's like, how can you ask me to do that? What, what kind of decision is that?
0: But putting pictures on your coffee table suggests that he cares more than just that, maybe. Yeah. Um, like, he doesn't even want to hurt her. He doesn't want to attack the Fantastic Four or the world because it might hurt her.
1: Which is good um, of him.
0: Yeah. But then you wonder, like, well, what's the motivation there? I mean, he's an Atlantean... I wonder if they'll retcon that at some point and explain why he's so enamored with her. For some reason, I can understand why she'd be, you know, interested in him because he's just, you know, an Atlantean and a prince, and he looks good and super powerful and all that. And he's like obviously troubled, so that sometimes attracts women. You know, when you're the the bad boy or whatever. Um, but I don't know why he would want her necessarily. So quickly. maybe she's just
1: the first human woman he's seen. All of his people down in the water are blue.
0: Well, he fought. With the uh, invaders and All Winners Squad and all that.
1: but Yeah, that's 20 years ago. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, that's true. 20 years ago. It's been a and while. And he did been have the prison. policewoman
1: back then. that He had kind of sort of not really romantic as the 1940s stories, but there was a policewoman that he was friends with back in those okay. days. Okay. Was she blonde? I think she was blonde, yeah. Well, there. We we
0: just solved the problem. Give Sue us reminds prize.
1: him of his policewoman friend.
0: Yes, I love that. Okay, I'm down with that. That's my continuity.
1: When um, we see Doctor Doom, page six, he says... Show me the puny mortal who does not tremble at the name of Dr. Doom. And I'm like, you know, at this point, probably lots of puny humans haven't even heard of him,
0: right? <laughs> Maybe not the name, but if he was standing in a room with me, I'd be pretty scared. Yeah. But yeah.
1: He's basically Darth Vader. Or Darth yeah, Vader sk- basically Dr. Doom.
0: I skipped over all that, too. His technology is he's got a plane that can also turn into a submarine. And there's all these... I, it's a really cool scene of, like, them going into... The destroyed Atlantis and checking out Namer's apparently oxygen filled room. It's like really cool designs.
1: I found it kind of haunting going past all those, Atlanta yeah, and then decrepit buildings. I mean, yeah. when we get to the first annual, he's going to find his people, but right now he has no clue where they are. There's the entire world full of ocean, mm-hmm. and he is no, all he, all he has is the wreckage and the ruins. Um, but yeah, and, and that helps. Inside with- his room, there's no water. Well, Dr. Doom's just standing there. I assume there's no water. Yeah. And that's, that's like, why? You're an undersea creature. Oh, there's no water.
0: Maybe he can press the no water button and have guests or something. I don't know. Uh, goes. Well, he's also, he's half. So maybe that was designed specifically for him because he doesn't always want to be in the water. I don't know. Do we know that he's half? Was he always half? Is he half or am I making that up? No, he's half.
1: Okay. So they they yeah. establish it in uh, Marvel Comics number one that he is. Uh, okay. Okay. He yeah. is an Atlantean woman with a human.
0: Okay. So maybe he just likes living in both worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just we fast forwarded before. Have you ever read the Namer series by John Byrne? I've not. I've read none of that. Do you want me to spoil
1: something for you? Sure. Especially okay, if it's so. uh, read con stuff we can know about now.
0: Yes. So John Byrne decided to explain why Namer is bat nuts crazy sometimes. And other times he's a hero. Yeah. And it turns out his half Atlantean, half-human heritage causes an imbalance in his brain. Oh. So, like, if he doesn't spend equal parts in one area or the other, he goes nuts. Oh. And then this doctor in the series, like, created this serum that could help him maintain his stability so he wouldn't just be, like, fighting the world all the time.
1: So it's actually physiologically good for him to have this water bubble down here to spend time in.
0: Yeah. Whether he knows that or not, he probably just feels better maybe sometimes to get out of the water. Interesting.
1: I'm glad, I, I, I did not know that. I'm glad you brought
0: that up. Um, and, I, you know, what's cool is like Fantastic Four number four, you throw him in the water. Or even when he was a bum, he was just really crabby. But then you throw him in the water and he wants to destroy the the world. Here, it's like he kind of wants to just be left alone.
1: Well, he uh, wants to destroy the world because he... He goes to find his people and well, finds yeah. everything destroyed. That sets him off.
0: Yeah, so you can understand that reaction. But now um, that his
1: temper's cooled a bit,
0: right? And then here we have in on page nine, like Doctor Doom is playing the devil on his shoulder.
1: Oh, he's so a j- jerk here! Oh my god! Yeah,
0: it's a great, it's a great three panels. Like you could just see the distraught face of Neighbor just getting more and more um, um, converted to Doctor Doom's like attempt to make him. Attack the,
1: the earth again.
0: Yeah, or the land or the earth or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's really good stuff. And so you like, like feel you kind of feel sorry for Namor. Like, okay, he's just kind of trying to back off and be his own guy and stay out of the way. And then here comes this dude to be a bad influence again.
1: And Dr. Doom starts it off by saying that men no longer speak your name in fear. And I'm trying to think. I mean, so back in the Invaders days, there were definitely times that were Namor stopped being the hero and became the menace again and the other people had to stop him maybe not the invaders comic but in the original comics the invaders comic sort of ties into Mm -hmm. um but it's been 20 years since then Mm -hmm. so other than his one attack a few months ago people aren't really thinking about namor right
0: yeah i imagine well he did i mean giganto destroyed a good portion of new york Mm -hmm. so i guess you could say he made an impact but yeah I mean, maybe he's thinking more along the lines of, you know, when you say the name Hitler, nobody likes that. But when they say submariner, no one remembers you.
1: Yeah, Hitler is now derogatory and contemptuous, whereas when he was actually in power, he was a word. It was a name of fear. Yeah. And then we get the miracles of magnetism.
0: Yeah, Stan does not understand magnetism
1: at all. <laughs> but
0: he he likes to use it as a way to make things happen. Okay. Oh, before the magnetism, I want to play the pronoun game. Okay. Page twelve, they find the picture. Johnny's like, hey, this guy's a villain. Why are you got the hots for him or whatever? She's like, give me that back, you brother. And he burns it. But he doesn't just burn it. He tells everybody. So he's a bad brother. Like he doesn't keep her secret, right? She's horrified. And Reed says, I think you owe us an explanation. Like, on behalf of the Fantastic Four, why are you why do you have a picture of a villain? of one of our villains instead of, I think you owe me an explanation as in, I thought we were a couple and uh, you've got a picture of a shirtless guy behind your bookcase.
1: Yeah. And this is right after Ben is actually kind of sad and disappointed. All a gal wants is a good looking guy. It doesn't matter if he's the most dangerous right. creep on earth. So yeah. we're continuing. So they really to the
0: backed idea. off.
1: Huh? They really
0: backed off on their relationship to the point where they have none.
1: Yes. Yes, the, the, the fiance status in issue one is gone by now. And I kind of gave some headcanon at the time of why that was. So Mm -hmm. their relationship is basically done now because he's turned them all into freaks. Um, and they've, they've, they've been rebuilding. They're a team again, but Reed is really hedging his bets with her. He is not making any assumptions. Maybe hedging his bets more than she would like because I think she would like him to be a bit more assertive about it.
0: Yeah, because, like, to me, you know, Reed and Sue are just a couple. They're an item. They always are. They always have been. But if I really think back, other than the one line about them being engaged, they've made no real reference to them being a couple at all. Yeah, it's been gone. No kissing, no hugging, no cuddling. When Dr. Doom took Sue as a hostage, it was very business. Like, okay, be careful, pal. And she's like, okay, buddy. You know, like. Like yeah, there's just nothing. There's not even an, a hint that Reed even thinks she's interesting.
1: And they're going to get re-engaged in the future, and at that point, it's like all hearts and flowers. After that, mm-hmm. but there's no. It's just, part of it is the way Stanley handles engagement in comics is like you go from thinking a person is interesting from a distance to engaging to be married. There's yeah. no like, there's no intermediate step.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's go but, with your
0: head cannon and, and just assume that there was a really, really bad fight. Right. And they're both they're both just like completely cold towards each other.
1: And it's gonna be a while. And maybe she still, you know, has that relationship with Reed in the back of her head, but right now she's also got this picture of Namor. Namor's pretty hot, especially without new clothes on. Like he's walking down the streets there on page eleven.
0: Well, like yeah, that's a good scene. If there if there is any hots for Reed, she has no mention of it in this right. issue. Which you think she would. Like her only her only concern is that one, the Fantastic Four don't kill this guy that she's into, and two, that she's into a guy that the Fantastic Four won't approve of. Right. She never says anything like, "I hope Reed doesn't get upset."
1: And Namor shows up, and uh, everyone immediately goes batshit. Now I understand it's Namor, uh, but yeah. their thought is he's put a trap somewhere in our building. I mean, which which is true, wrong, but yeah, how that? that? But, you know, where did they get <laughs> out that come He comes in and says hi. And they're like, oh, my God, search all the floors. Johnny, you take those floors. I'll take these floors.
0: Yeah. Um, And right before that, Johnny, (laughs) I really like this. He, like, makes a flame circle underneath uh, Namer's feet to, like, drop him. Um, And then Namer's like, yeah, but I can fly. So that was really stupid. But (laughs) then there's this panel where he's like, my flame has run its time limit. Mm Mm-hmm. Has that happened yet, or is this a new thing they've decided to add to him to make him less powerful?
1: Um, yeah, I think this is it. And it becomes yeah. a really common plot trope in a plot mechanic device. Oh, yeah. In Strange Tales. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. But, um, but here, I think this might be the first time that his flame has run out. And what has he done? He just lit up, flew around Namor, burned through the floor, and oh my gosh, I have no more.
0: And he calls it a time limit. Like, this is a thing that he knows about. Right. Yeah. I wonder what the time is. Thirty seconds? An hour? Whatever. Anyway.
1: Usually, it's more like a strength thing. Like he just runs out of flaming energy. He just can't do it. Anymore.
0: Yeah. He runs out of gas and, um, and needs to eat charcoal or something.
1: So you know the 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 building flies up and Namor realizes he's been double crossed and like you said, Doobes is trying to get rid of Namor with them. And that's that's mm-hmm. his entire plan: to get Namor in the building with the four, get rid of all of yeah. them together, rule the world.
0: Yeah. So, other than the science, it's a pretty good plot.
1: <laughs> and the miracles of magnetism.
0: Yeah, and ripping a building off the foundation, and that not having any issues with putting it back later—you know, all that stuff. It is that such drives a me crazy.
1: thing. It is such a thing. I know. The plumbing yeah. and the electrical, and forget the like dozens of feet of foundation.
0: I know. I would love for there to be an issue someday for in some movie or something where the, the superhero puts it back and then the, the tower just, like, falls over and crashes into a whole city or something. That'd be hilarious.
1: I'm not saying that putting a building back into its place is like reattaching a brain to a brainstem, but there definitely is a lot of complexity going on there that you have to reconnect. I mean, it's not just yeah. insert the slot.
0: Yeah. Not to mention, I assume... Just for the sake of story, that this magnet somehow envelops the entire building so it doesn't crumble apart from the pressure of a jet
1: pulling it in
0: the first place. But
1: But that's just comics. That's just comic science.
0: That's just comics. Yeah. Superman lifts stuff all the time that doesn't break for some reason.
1: So Johnny flies out into space and it seems like (laughs) such an idiot, idiot move. But then I remember we have talked before about how limited the casual kid's understanding of space was at this time. Or Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah. Also, well, Stanley knows that it's a vacuum.
0: Yeah, he at least has that down.
1: He just... But he they also have all the windows
0: open, and the only protection they have is air helmet thingies. Right. So you would think, what about cold and and getting through the app Or, uh, you know, the whole, like, everything being super hot when you go through the Earth's...
1: Uh, whatever that thing is. Well, that's if you're falling. If you're falling at speed and oh, uh, the right. wind friction can burn you. If you're launching... I don't think you have to worry about that as much.
0: Oh, well, see, I don't understand space either, so it works out. <laughs> but, like, Reed stretches his arm out to grab Johnny, and it's like that doesn't freeze him to death right. or anything like that. But, hey, unstable molecules, maybe that answers that question.
1: But the uh, the, the rocket exhaust does scorch him. Yeah. And they just have yeah. all those straps, like, lying around. Look at that big strap nest they put him in there. Well, well they have really the crazy hammock. They have the
0: helmets lying around, too. I guess they were planning. I guess they do have a rocket in their building. Yeah. They're, so they're geared could argue. for space travel. You could argue they're geared for space travel. Um, I love how, like, kind of calm Namer is through this whole thing. Like, this entire issue. And maybe that's why I feel so bad for him is because, like, nothing seems to really. He's sort of just wandering through it in a way. Like, I haven't decided if I'm a good guy or a bad guy or what I am. So I'm just in the now. I'm in the moment. Um, until I save everybody in the end, mm-hmm. but even like when Namer or when Doom double crosses him, he's not super upset about it. He's kind of like Vulcan about it. Like, well, looks like I got double crossed too. Oh well.
1: Oh well. Um, he did
0: call him a dog, though. Oh well. <laughs> uh, and
1: I'm running out of things to say about the comic. I mean, uh, this is yeah. Doom appears to die.
0: <laughs> I really hope that they don't just have him appear back and not explain what happens because he gets. He he manages to snag onto a meteor that's going into space, as far as I can tell. Or was it going towards Earth?
1: No, it's going out. It's out, out away from Earth, out towards okay. space.
0: So if he doesn't run into, like, an alien – well, shoot. Earth's being attacked by aliens every five seconds. That's probably what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Actually, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> okay. There you go. Because for a while, we have a series of deaths. Doctor Doom dies at the end of every adventure – in the next issue, the cool part of the story is finding out how he survived the last issue. Uh This, right. is, an, uh, this is an idea in comics that just doesn't happen as much anymore. You don't really have any, how did your villain get from there to here? It's just, mm-hmm. this is the villain showing up. But they did it a lot in uh, Fantastic yeah. Four and Spider-Man.
0: Yeah. Um, and Batman. And Batman. Joker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At least his first like five appearances were all these elaborate, how did he live things. And then eventually it's like, ah, eh, the Joker didn't die. But they don't explain how.
1: And then Namor is just like done. Like he helps yeah. him reland the building and he flies off.
0: Perhaps someday when I'm no longer haunted by bitter memories of my lost people, I may return. But until then, this is where I belong in the sea, which is my home. Right. And then we'll see him like in two issues, probably.
1: So, as we end the story, Doom is believed dead, and relations mm-hmm. with the submariner have ended rather peaceably, actually, which is kind of unexpected. Yeah. With him helping them defeat Doom and guiding the building back into place. And for Namor's part, he seems like he might be feeling less hostile. He's just hung up on the memories of his lost people, which is understandable. Yeah, Um, And that's really the Fantastic Four. you have any other thoughts on this that you want to mention before we go on or before we wrap up?
0: No, just that I like this issue a lot, too. So we had two out of three issues that I thought this episode were pretty dang good.
1: Okay, so um, then we have our June 1962 top and bottom picks.
0: Oh, boy. So, what's the range here?
1: So, we have Amazing Fantasy 15 and oh. everything we talked about today.
0: <sighs> well, man. You know, when we were reading Amazing Fantasy 15, that was definitely my answer for best pick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then we kind of read Journey into Mystery 83, and I really liked that a lot, too. Uh, so. I'm still gonna give it to Spider-Man because top to bottom, that was the best story Stan has given us so far. I mean, with Thor, I think I mostly liked it because the fighting was super fun. Mm -hmm. But there's not, there's not. It's definitely missing like the motivation factor. Um, Whereas Spider-Man really hit home on, you know, really fired all cylinders on who Peter Parker is and why he is Spider-Man. And my least favorite, that's going to be easy. I'll just say Tales to Astonish number 35. Mm, Ant-Man. Ant-Man just hasn't been doing much for me so far. But what did I expect?
1: Well, um, I actually had the same picks. Um, Spider-Man was my top and Ant-Man was my bottom. Um, I did not dislike the Ant-Man return story. Uh, We didn't really say a whole lot much about it. There wasn't really a whole lot to say about it. Um, It just was not as high as the others. No. And the Origin of Thor and the Doom-Namor team-up are kind of competing for second and third place. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things about both that are good. I think the Doom-Namor team-up is the better story. I mean, there's just more stuff going on there that's interesting character-wise. But it's the Origin of Thor, so it's like, it's the Origin of Thor.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, if you have if you have Thor, what, right when you're about to read him attack the Saturn Man and you put some Led Zeppelin on, you'll see what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay well um i think that is the uh end of our episode um wow it's picking me up really loudly for some reason i didn't notice that earlier that's okay so what's our website mike
0: Are you asking because you don't know? No, I'm asking to
1: give you a chance to say stuff about
0: it. All right. All right. Our website is makeoursmarvel.com, and there you will find a way to contact us with a handy-dandy form. Or if you don't like forms, you could do podcast at makeoursmarvel.com to use whatever mailer you want to use. Uh, also on the website, though, you can find various ways to follow us, our iTunes link, an RSS feed, our social media links, um, and if you don't care about any of that, at the very least, go on there because I like to post pictures that are related to the show we're talking about. So if you don't know what it looks like when Ben Grimm and the Easter Island has babies, you will know <laughs> if you check out this episode's show notes.
1: So um, speaking of social media, Twitter and Facebook, um, you can follow the show on Twitter. You can follow and or like the show on Facebook. So... We, um, as we're recording this, just in the last few days, have started hyping the show up on social media. We are in the middle of a countdown to the trailer, which, as you're listening to this, was weeks ago. But you know, that's how things work. So, just in a little bit of time that we've been talking about, we've had several people show their support and excitement for the show, or at least you know, mild enough interest that they did something about it. So, Robert McDonald gets the Cupid doll for being the first person to support the show. He liked us on Facebook first. That's great. Yay, Robert. Uh, My daughter, Lily Wilson, has also liked us. Um, Two very longtime supporters of so many of my endeavors. I want to mention Keith Mason and Ben Rush. We got a uh, follow on Twitter from my longtime podcasting friend, Michael Bailey, of the Fortress of Bailey-tude network of podcasts. Uh, Friend and frequent co-podcaster, Blaine Dowler of the Bureau 42 podcast network. Al Sedano. From the Resurrections, the Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, I'm also a regular number two guy on. Um, We have someone that I met at DragonCon, but online he just goes by the 108th Sage. So thank you for the follow. Uh, Jason Venable from the podcast that goes snicked, which if you can't tell is a Wolverine show. Uh, The Epic Marvel Podcast, which covers the uh, Marvel Epic Collections, they dropped us a follow. Jack Alberti of the Comics Lost in Time blog. Scott McElroy from the weekly Drunk Pete web events. Troy Max, Mark Lax, Gord Tolton, the Crackathum podcast, Jam Bob, who happens to be in the same town that I live in. So that's crazy. Rob H and Don Rabideau, who is a graphic designer over at DonRabideau.com. And finally, Daniel Doherty of, um, well, the Doherty's. So, <laughs> oh, the Dohertys! Yes, thank you, everyone, for sending us your support through the Facebook and the Twitter. That is very, very kind, and hopefully, you have uh, been enjoying the episodes. And I think that wraps us up. Yeah, I think we're we got three and three, three in
0: this time. Awesome.
1: Yeah. So, until this whole Sub Mariner and Doctor Doom team up idea gets a whole series devoted to it,
0: make ours Marvel. Marvel